What is your goal in life? What is your goal in life? I'm not talking about the goal that you're supposed to say when you're in church uh, or the goal that sounds good when you say it out loud, but what is your real goal in life? You know, if you think about it, as we move through life, our goals tend to change, at least the big ones do. Uh, There comes a time in our life when we're Uh, you know, wanting to graduate high school and maybe get into the college we'd like to get into or start the career we would like to start. And and then maybe our goal becomes we want to start a family. Uh, And then we want to provide for that family. And and then our goals change when we want to focus on our health because we want to stay alive for that family, right? As we move through life, some of the big goals that we have tend to change, but I think that there is an overarching goal for all of our life. And the question is, is that goal your goal? Is that goal your goal? Today I want to talk about your new life goal, that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, there's actually a big goal for your life. And I want to talk about that today. We're going to be studying the book of Colossians for the next several weeks. Uh, We're going to study this on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. And so this Wednesday night, I'll just pick up right where I leave off uh, this morning. And as you can tell from the scripture reading, we're not going to get very far. But if you open up to the book of Colossians, if you have a Bible, please go there. The book of Colossians begins with one word, and that word is a name, and that name is Paul. Paul. What I love about Paul is that Paul understood his goal in life. He lived his goal in life. In fact, in Acts 20, 24, Paul says this. He says, my life is worth nothing to me, absolutely nothing, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Notice what Paul says there. He says, my life is actually worthless to me unless I use this life that God has given me to finish the work that Jesus has assigned to me. And the question is, can you and I say that? Can you and I say that our life is actually worth nothing to us unless we have finished what it is that God has given us to do. Because the other option then is to say that God's work is optional. That God's work in our life and what it is he's given us to do is optional. I can take it or I can leave it. So we're either completely committed, as Paul was, to finishing the work, whatever that may be, that God has given us, or the only other option is to say that God's work is optional in our life. I'd like to look at these first two verses here, and I want to make three preliminary points. Three preliminary points. First, the first point I want to make is that people who know Jesus spread his gospel. This is what's communicated to us in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, notice what's going on there in the verse. Notice that Paul is mentioned, but also Timothy is mentioned. Meaning the letter of Colossians comes from Paul and Timothy. This is a collaborative letter. It comes from both of them. And notice that not only do you see this individual passing the gospel here from Paul to Timothy, we know that that took place, but also Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. So you have the wisdom of the church in Ephesus being passed on to the church in Colossae. 
So even in this one verse where he says, Paul, an apostle, that's a sent one, of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, you see Paul ministering to Timothy, but then you see Timothy, who is in Ephesus, also ministering to the church in Colossae. Because what it means to be a part, to be a follower of Jesus, if you really know him, you're going to be a part of spreading his gospel. It happens as individuals, it happens city to city, and it happens church to church. The second observation I want to make about this passage is that people who know Jesus are set apart as his family members. Whenever you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a part of Jesus' family, and Jesus loves his family. But you can think about it this way. That whenever you know Jesus, you are a part of his family. And whenever you are a part of his family, you are a part of his family business. And the family business of Jesus' family is to spread the gospel. That is the family business that you and I get to be a part of. But the third observation I'd make here is this. Is that when we know Jesus, it leads to grace and peace in our life. Notice he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, there's the brother language, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So right there we see that whenever you know Jesus, you're a part of Jesus' family. And if you're a part of Jesus' family, Jesus has a family business. And the result of being a part of Jesus' family and about the family business is we have grace and we have peace in our life. Do you see that? Say amen. 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 Now, this raises a question for us. And the question is, how do I live as a part of God's family? How do I live as a part of God's family, living out and being a part of the family business? How do I live then with this grace and peace that is offered to me in Christ Jesus? How do I do that? Paul gives us the answer to that in verse 1. There is a short little phrase, three words, that's absolutely important. So I want to make four points here. The first one is this. How are we going to live a part of this family and a part of this family business and with the grace and peace of God in our life? Point number one is simply this. It is that the goal of my life is the will of God. The goal of my life is the will of God. The goal of your life should be the will of God. Whenever you become a follower of Jesus... Whenever you become a true believer, not just giving some kind of mental assent to who God is, but when you truly believe in him, when you truly trust in him, all of a sudden you have this brand new goal for your life. Instead of your will being your goal, now it is God's will. God's will. All of a sudden we find ourselves following in Jesus' footsteps as he prayed in the garden, God, Father, not my will, but you've heard that prayer before. Yes? Let's say it one more time. Father, not my will, but that's right. Your will be done. Now, here's the thing, though. If we're going to walk in the will of God, that means some things have to change. Some things have to change. Again, notice verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Whenever Paul started living for the will of the Father in his life, a whole lot of things changed in his life. And things have to change in ours as well. For example, whenever we want to follow the will of God in our life, our relationships change. The relationships, the connections that we have begin to change in our life. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 50, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
They came to him one day and said, your family is here. And Jesus says, no, you, you got to understand who my family really is. you got to understand who it is that I actually have a relationship with. And my relationship, my connections are with the people who want to do the will of the Father. And so if you and I want to be a part of fulfilling God's will for our life, uh, then all of a sudden we see changes start to take place. These relational changes take place because if we want to do God's will in our life, if we want to partner with other people who want God's will for their life so that we can help each other out. But not only that, if we want to do God's will for our life, if we want to live that out, not only does our relationships change, these external things, but there are internal things that have to change as well. A lot like our mentality on life, how we see life, how we plan our life. How we see and plan our life reveal a lot about what our actual goals are for life. I love what James says in James 4.15. He says, here's what you ought to say. Here's what you ought to say. You should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. That famous verse there is, is getting us to think in terms of, is that my whole life has to be about focusing on the will of God. So if it's God's will, I'll be a part of this. If it's God's will, I'll be a part of that. So many times we just ask the question, what do I want? When the ultimate question is, what does God want? Are you with me? That question should drive everything we do. It should drive our decisions. It should drive how we plan, how even we plan out our calendar. And so if we're going to do the will of God in our life, there are things that are external that change, like our relationships. There are things internally that change, like our mentality. But not only that, the power source in our life changes. Whenever we focus on living out the will of God, the power source in our life changes. We move from willpower to God's power. And those are two completely different kinds of power. Willpower has to do with all the energy that I can muster up on my own. Isn't that a great phrase, muster up? All the energy that I can produce on my own. But God's power working in us is a totally different kind of power. Hebrews 13, 21 says this. It says, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. Notice that. Notice that God equips us with everything that we need to do his will. It says, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. And then here's the result. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ. Not your power, not my power, but through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. Now, I want you to look at that verse for a second. Notice that we are equipped with everything we need absolutely everything we need in order to accomplish his will. So we have no excuses. We can't just say, well, I don't know. No, you have all the knowledge you need. You say, well, I don't have what I need to do what it is he's called us to do. No, he provides for you every step of the way. He equips us to, for everything we need to do his will. Then not only that, he produces in us by the power of Jesus, the good things, the godly things that we can do, that we can be a part of that are pleasing to him. So when it comes to pleasing God, we need to remember that he gives us the power, all the power that we need in order to please him. So many times we just think, well, I'm weak. Well, I, I, you know, my mind's not what it used to be. My body's not what it used to be. Or I'm not like this person. I'm not like that person. No, no, no. God's equipped you with everything you need to accomplish his will in your life. When you want his will above all other things, he will equip you every single time. But again, things have to change. 
We have to stop relying on our own power. We have to rely on his power. We have to change our thinking and our mentality, how we see life, how we think about life, how we even plan life out. Instead, we want God's will. Even relationships change because we want to partner and link arms with people who want the will of God for their life, and that's what we want for ours so that we can encourage each other. Now, whenever I'm talking about this phrase, the will of God, some of you may be sitting there going, what exactly is that? So let me explain that for just a moment. Whenever you think about the will of God, think about it in three basic movements. First, you have the providential will of God. Second, you have the prescribed moral will of God. And then thirdly, you have the personal will of God. Now hang with me here. The providential will of God, are it's those times in your life when God moves in such a way, you look at it, and it may look like a coincidence, but you know that God was creating one of those God moments. Have you ever had one of those? One of those moments when God intervenes in our life, where God brings somebody or something in our life, and it's Him reminding us that, that He's with us, that He's walking with us, that He's guiding us. That's the providential will of God. But then there's the prescribed moral will of God, and that is the will of God that is universal to all believers, and that is found here in Scripture. The prescribed will of God is what New Testament Christianity is all about. That's how every Christian should live and live out their life, what it is we should do, what it is we shouldn't do. It's prescribed, and it has to do with the morals and how we live out our life. And then there is the personal will of God. The personal will of God is the will of God we have to seek whenever, especially when we're making decisions. I don't know if you know this or not, but whenever me and Emily and our family were praying about moving to Montgomery, I did not have a chapter and verse for that one. You with me there? There was not like the book of first hesitations that says Chris moved to Montgomery in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, right? That was not in there. So I had to seek the Lord. And you know what that's like in your own life. Whenever you're faced with a decision or you're trying to decide something about the future, you have to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? I want to walk the path of peace. So what is it you want for me? So whenever you think about the will of God, think about it in those three movements. There's the providential will of God that we experience in life. We have no control over that. There's the prescribed moral will of God that he has given to all Christians that's universal to every one of us what is normative New Testament Christianity. But then there's also the personal will of God as he is leading us and as he is guiding us. Those last two, the prescribed moral will of God and the personal will of God have to be our focus. We want our lives aligned with what God says in his word and we want uh, our lives aligned with how he is actively leading us. And so we go to his word for his prescribed moral will and then we pray and seek his personal will. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. So if we're going to live in this family, be a part of the family business, have this kind of grace and peace in our life, we have to understand my new life goal is the will of God. Number two is this. We have to remember that I will never accomplish my goal alone. If your goal is to do the will of God in your life, you'll never accomplish it on your own. Please hear me. Over and over, Scripture says this. Time and time again, in many different ways, Scripture talks about the connectedness that we have with each other. One example is Romans 12, 4 through 6. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're all different. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, meaning we're connected. We're connected. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. The calling there in Romans 12 is for us to realize that we are all connected together. We all have different gifts, and we are to use those gifts because they mutually benefit us. You see, God in his genius built weakness into the individual and strength into community. He built weakness into the individual. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It's not good that man should be alone. He built weakness into the individual, but strength in community. And so many times people wonder, you know, why am I not accomplishing God's will for my life? Why is it that I can't seem to kind of get my footing? Or why does it feel like I'm constantly wandering? And many times the answer is simply because you've tried to do it alone. You've tried to do it alone. But we have to understand that if the goal is God's will for my life, that I'm not meant to do it alone. That God places people around me. I say this over and over and over and over again in a variety of ways in multiple sermons because it's so true. And if the pandemic taught us anything, it is that isolation is not healthy. That we actually need each other. And I'm here to tell you, if your life's goal is to accomplish the will of God, then you need other people around you. Number three is this. One of the things we have to remember is that to accomplish my goal, I must choose to be faithful. I have a new life goal, the will of God. I can't accomplish it on my own. I need other people around me. But I also have to make a choice, and that choice is to be faithful. Now, whenever you say the word faithful, people start defining faithfulness in many different ways. I, I want to tell you how to be faithful. If you'll do these three things, these are three sub points to point number three, if that makes sense. That was funny. Anyway, <laughs> if you'll do these three things, these three things, I promise you'll be found faithful. The first thing you have to do is you have to focus on Jesus. You have to focus on Jesus. Listen, you're going to focus on something. You're going to focus on someone. But if you're going to be faithful and follow the will of God in your life, you have to focus on Jesus. Jesus said this in John 7, 17. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. Right there, Jesus says, if you want to be about doing God's will for your life, then you have to listen to what I'm saying. You have to focus on what I'm teaching. And so all of a sudden, there's this shift in, in, in life. Instead of me saying, uh, well, what do I think? The question is, what does Jesus think? Instead of me saying, what do I feel? The question is, what does Jesus feel? Instead of me saying, what is it that I want to do? The question is, what does Jesus want you to do? When you stay focused on him and on his teaching, you're headed down that road of accomplishing God's will for your life. The second thing, though, you have to do, and this one's painful. Not only do you have to focus on Jesus, but you have to crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. I have to crucify my flesh. You have to crucify your flesh. So many times Christians today think that their job is to go around and help other people crucify their flesh. No, no, no. Sometimes we wish our job was to crucify other people, right? But we'll leave your kids out of this. Now, but our job, if we're really going to walk in the will of God, I have to focus on Jesus, number one. But when I focus on Jesus, when I see him and behold him and all of his holiness, it's going to reveal my unholiness which means I then have to crucify my flesh. I have to lay down my passions. I have to lay down my desires that I have. That's why Paul says, I die daily. 
Every day I have to crucify the flesh. Or Galatians 5.24, Paul says this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You and I have to actively go about killing the, the worldly passions that we have and killing the worldly desires that we have. And if we don't kill the worldly passions, if we don't kill the worldly desires, then we're not going to follow God's passions and God's desires. You do know that God is very passionate right here in this moment. That there are things that just make God's heart happy. That right now, God has desires for your life. Right now, there are things that God wants you to be a part of. He wants you to see. He wants you to experience right now. But we're never going to get there if we stay entangled in the passions and desires that are a part of the sin nature that is in us. We have to crucify those things, and we have to kill those things every day. Speaking of every day, point number three is this. Not only do we have to focus on Jesus, not only do we have to crucify the flesh, but point number three is that I have to focus on daily obedience, not seasonal sacrifice. Oh, please hear me. What God wants from our life is daily obedience, not seasonal sacrifice. If you were to ask me today, what is the number one thing plaguing the church? This would make the top three every time. Instead of focusing on daily obedience, we instead opt for seasonal sacrifices. This is what the people of Israel did. Instead of following God every day, instead of waking up with God on their mind, instead of seeking to live out even the Ten Commandments daily, they, they just said, you know what? I'll play catch up. And I'll, I'll go to the temple when it's a feast or a festival. And, and even though I'm not walking with God daily right now, I, I'll play catch up and I'll go give a big sacrifice. The next chance I get. Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 22 said this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does God really like the burnt offerings and sacrificing over obedience, he says? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. And right there, Samuel proves that point. So many times we get caught in a cycle of ketchup in our life. And I'm not talking about the stuff you put on a hamburger. <laughs> we get caught in this cycle of catching up. Well, I know I didn't pray for three days, but I'll just pray a little extra on Saturday. Well, I know I have been serving, but I'll serve in some bigger way. In the, maybe I might just go on a mission trip. No, I'll tell you what, I'll just help someone else go on a mission trip. Isn't that how we do it? Well, I know that maybe I haven't been reading Scripture the way I should. Well, I'll catch, i tell you what, this year, I'm going to read through the whole thing beginning to end. How many of you have ever set that as your goal? Read through the whole Bible in a year. I'm not going to ask you how many of you actually accomplished it. Right? 
But we get caught in this cycle of playing catch-up. Listen, if we are going to be faithful so that we can walk in the will of God for our life, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to keep looking at what is it that Jesus says? What is it that Jesus wants? We have to crucify the flesh that is in us because when we look at the holy, our unholiness is revealed. But then we have to walk with him every day. Every day. Instead of opting for seasonal sacrifices, God just wants daily obedience to his voice. Now here's the thing. We have a new goal in our life. It's the will of God. Can't accomplish that on my own. But I have to choose to be faithful. But point number four is this. Is that I know I'm accomplishing my goal when I experience grace and peace. You know you are actually walking in the will of God. You're accomplishing that. Not by external circumstances, not by if it's going good or not. Sometimes life just goes bad. Sometimes people are just against you. Uh, Sometimes work is just work, and it's hard, and people are involved. Sometimes we, we we get sick, we don't feel good. Sometimes the money's there, sometimes the money's not there. It's not external circumstances. But you know you're walking in the will of God when there is an act of grace in your life and peace in your life. We see grace as kind of this passive thing that kind of just covers up some stuff we did in the past. No, no, it's the power in the present. God's grace is present in the present. And then with that grace, there is peace that comes in. That you know that no matter what it looks like around me, I'm, I'm being faithful And I'm following exactly what God has told me to do. And listen, there is no earthly substitute for the grace and peace of God. You can't find it anywhere. No substitute whatsoever. Now you may say, Chris, how do I know? How how do I know I'm walking in the grace and peace of God? Listen, you know whether or not you're living with that calm assurance that God is walking with you and you are walking with him closely right now. Again, no matter what's going on around you, you know if that's there. Another way to test that is to ask the question, how do people experience you? When people get in your personal space and have conversation with you, do they experience grace? Because you see, when grace is resting upon you, it's going to flow through you. When people get around you and, and they're experiencing you and you're talking to them, do they experience peace? Because when peace is resting upon you, it's going to flow through you. That's just how God does it. But at the end of the day, you know whether you are right now, as you sit here listening to me, are resting in the grace and peace of God. And what I want to tell you today is that if you've lost that, if you've lost that, it's an alignment issue. It's an alignment issue. And all you have to do to realign your life is just to go back to him and say, Father, I don't have the grace that I need. I don't have the peace that I desire, that peace that comes from you. And say, Lord, I want to get my life back on track and focus on your will above mine. When Jesus was in the garden and he prayed that simple but powerful prayer, Father, not my will, but yours be done. It was a model for every one of us for all of our life. 
And my friend, if you will pray that prayer every single day, you will never go wrong. You'll never go wrong. And so if you don't have the grace you need and the peace you want right now, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And we're just going to realign our lives. Can we do that? Let us pray. Father, in this moment we come. And Lord, for those who are here who say the grace is not there, the peace is not present. Lord, we come back and humbly realign our lives back to you. Lord, forgive us for wandering. Forgive us for wanting other things other than your will. But Lord, this morning we say we want your will as our new goal. And Lord, let there be no other goal. May we say what Paul said so long ago. May we come to the realization that our life is useless unless we finish the work you've assigned to us. So, Lord, may we desire your will above all things, today and forever. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. And we thank you for loving us and giving us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. Today we take it. We align ourselves with you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...